Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star, now we see how brave you are. Up above the Pentagon sting, like a fair judge in the ring. Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star, now we see how brave you are. When subpoenas and lies are gone, when obstruction shines upon, then you throw your trump cards down. Twinkle, twinkle, all brought down. Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star, now we see how brave you are. Then the Congress in the dark thanks you for your courage and spark. We could not see which way to go if you did not lead us so. Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star, now we see how brave you are. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was waiting for that to end, and it just didn't. Well, it ended a congressional career. That was former New Jersey Congressman Michael Pappas on the floor of the House of Representatives in July of 1998, singing about independent counsel Ken Starr. So I'm Ariel Dodato. And I'm Vincent Salomino. Welcome to NJ Voices. This is our third episode. Um, thank you for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about impeachment. Um, but not just on the national platform, as I think many news outlets are discussing, but New Jersey's impact and New Jersey's history with impeachment. So presidents have been impeached only twice in the history of the United States. Andrew Johnson in 1868, he was the 17th president of the United States who succeeded Abraham Lincoln, and perhaps more memorable, the 42nd president of the United States, Bill Clinton. Um, In addition to that, this is a pretty big deal, right? We hear about high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, the House of Representatives has only initiated impeachment 62 times since 1789. They've impeached 19 people, those two presidents, but they've also impeached 15 federal judges, a cabinet secretary, and a U.S. senator. So impeachment's a really big deal. See, I actually didn't realize that you could, I mean, obviously you can impeach presidents, but I actually didn't realize that we've had such a history with impeaching people in lower offices. I had no idea. Right. So that's actually more common than what we've seen in all of U.S. history, not just modern history. The biggest misunderstanding with impeachment that I've seen so far anyway, is that people think impeachment is the end result, where it's not. It's really just the halfway point. So in order for there um, to be a successful impeachment and then thus removal from office, a couple of things have to go down first. First, the House has to be sufficient in finding crimes to be determined worthy of impeachment. So this is what's called the impeachment inquiry, which is different than the articles of impeachment, which is the second step. The House of Representatives holds a floor vote uh, for the articles of, of impeachment. The majority of the House has to vote to impeach. And that is not the end of of the process so impeachment then moves on to the senate and the senate then has to vote oh sorry the senate holds a trial to determine uh if the president is innocent or guilty of these crimes and if two-thirds or more of the senate votes to convict the president at that point the president is removed from office so it's a little longer and a little more complicated than i think um a lot of people are led to believe and i think that's important to lay out One example of someone being impeached but not convicted and removed from office is Andrew Johnson. Johnson was a Southern Democrat who was Abraham Lincoln's vice president in the election of 1864. When Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, Johnson becomes president. He disagrees with the radical Republicans, and while the situation is awfully complex and for another podcast episode, ends up being impeached by the House of Representatives, where they then fail to convict him in the Senate. 
Right. And so New Jersey actually had two senators that voted to convict Andrew Johnson, both of whom were also Republican. Today, I think there's a little bit more party loyalty, whereas we expect, I think most of us expect most Republicans in the Senate to stick with Trump in this impeachment process, at least. Whereas back then, there was a really large divide between what they called radical Republicans and regular Republicans who wanted to be, like you said, a little easier on Southerners and really Confederates, whereas radical Republicans, one of the harshest punishments, wanted the most freedom for slaves. And so they actually did vote to, to convict Johnson, who got acquitted by only one vote. And so as we'll see throughout history, one of those senators who voted to convict was Frederick Theodore Frelinghuysen. God bless you. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful, but it's a name that's going to come up a lot, specifically in times of impeachment in the United States. So the next time we see a Freelinghuysen is during the Nixon administration. Uh, Peter H.B. Freelinghuysen. God bless you. Thank you again. (laughs) I know that last name is really a killer. Uh, So Peter H.B. Freelinghuysen called for Nixon's resignation in 1974. So for those of you who remember the Nixon scandal, Nixon didn't even make it to impeachment because he knew he was his crimes were obvious and illegal enough for him to almost definitely be removed from office. So in order to avoid that disgrace, he just resigned. Right. So so even though impeachment was looming, we can still say we've never had a president removed from the office. And then last but not least, probably the easiest name to say, Rodney P. Freelinghuysen in 1998. (laughs) In 1998, voted to impeach Clinton. Um, not breaking party lines or, I guess, even indicative of any intra-party conflicts. He was a Republican. Clinton obviously was a Democrat. Nothing nothing to see here, folks. The Freelingheisen family goes back a long time in New Jersey history, not just in relation to impeachment. I think if we're having a New Jersey Voices show, we should acknowledge that. The Freelingheisens, this is a crazy fact, Mariel. Rodney Freelingheisen retired from Congress at the end of the last session. So in... 2019, January, there was no longer a Freeling Heisen in Congress. Hmm. Prior to that, like a full third of the Congresses that we've ever had. So for 30 something percent of American history, there has been a member of the Freeling Heisen family in Congress. I lived next to Freeling Heisen Hall at Rutgers University. I heard they had really good yard sales up in Morristown where they lived and you would go there because they're rich. Really? So like people would go to their yard sales to buy a lot of stuff. Do they still have yard sales? I don't know. I mean, they're not in Congress. Maybe they have more yard sales. Maybe we should do a vlog going to (laughs) the Freelingheisen yard sale. Excuse me, Rodney. (laughs) Where are the good items? Excuse me, Mr. Rodney. I'd like to buy a shawl. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have 1972, 73, 74, when Richard Nixon decides to gather his gang together and break into the offices of the Democratic National Committee in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. That's where we got the name Watergate from, and every other gate after that. Nixon and his henchmen break in, they get caught, and it's not so much the crime, which is a cliche, but the cover-up that ensues in 1972, 73, and then 74, when ultimately Nixon decides to resign instead of be impeached by the House of Representatives. Another New Jersey voice that was there during that time was Peter Wallace Rodino Jr., who lived on Grafton Avenue in Newark. 
He was a working class guy, and in 1974, he's 64 years old, World War II veteran, a Democrat. The Democrats had the majority in Congress. Nixon was a Republican. And it falls to Congressman Rodino to be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and to actually take an impeachment investigation and then conduct hearings and make it a reality. Right. And that's pretty much what's happening right now with the Trump administration is that there's been a formal inquiry launched, but there has has yet to be a floor vote. Right. To to launch a formal impeachment investigation. And that's what Rodino was put in charge of as chair of judiciary. And one of the things that really stands out to me is this was a long process. Historians have objectively argued that Rodino and a lot of Republicans, people on both sides of the aisle, tried their best to to do what was best for the country and navigate the politics, which were still super passionate even at that time. But when they had the vote on the articles of impeachment to refer them out of committee to the full house, Rodino, again, he gavels the committee hearing to a close. They had passed the articles of impeachment. He had voted yay. There were still people who were voting against it, Nixon loyalists. And he goes back to his office and he breaks down and he cries and he calls his wife and he says something to the effect of, I hope I did the right thing. I never thought it would come to this. That's powerful. Yeah. Because I don't think anyone thinks that our democracy is going to come to that pivotal point until it does. Right. And I think especially where we're at right now, everything is so polarized and it's hard to tell which people are on their side of the their chosen side of the fence because they want to be because of either party loyalty or because that's what they truly believe is right. There was a Republican on the Judiciary Committee named Charles Sandman, who was from New Jersey, and he was a vocal Nixon loyalist. Mm -hmm. So that's another New Jersey voice <laughs> who didn't land on the right side of history. Sandman lost his seat in the following election in 1974, which people in politics or who study it call the Watergate wave hmm. because there was a backlash against the Republican Party and impeachment and Democrats won huge majorities in the House and the Senate. Wow. Wow. So I guess that's where they get the blue wave. Right. And we opened the episode with Michael Pappas singing Twinkle Twinkle Kenneth Starr. So it's the inverse of the Watergate wave where in 1974, the congressional midterms, there was a huge landslide for the Democrats in 1998 just as the House was beginning to come to a point where it was clear they were going to impeach Clinton, mm -hmm. there was no landslide for the Republicans because there wasn't public support for impeachment. And folks like Mike Pappas lost their seats. Not a lot of them. There was only 12 Republicans who lost. But Pappas lost his race against an unknown physics professor named Rush Holt. And his campaign made an ad out of that song, correct? Right. Rush Holt used that song to attack Pappas and won the race narrowly for Congress. Yeah, I mean, he dug his own grave with that one. It's kind of a New Jersey political legend. Yeah, it's the cringiest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I don't want to assume that people remember what happened when Bill Clinton was impeached by the Republican House of Representatives and then found not guilty by a very party-line vote in the Senate. But in 1997, Clinton is reelected. There are a number of scandals that have plagued him, some manufactured, others would argue there's some merit. Clinton ends up in a situation where he has had a improper sexual relationship 
with a young White House intern named Monica Lewinsky. The Republicans find out. There are recordings. There's a famous blue dress with evidence of their sexual relationship. And the country gets thrown into a turmoil politically that it hadn't really seen since Watergate. Clinton is impeached in a partisan vote in the Republican majority House of Representatives. And then, as you said earlier, Mariel, he is acquitted in the Senate because you require two-thirds. So even though the Republicans control a majority of the Senate at that time, Clinton escapes being removed from office because there's another party line vote and his party, the Democrats, stuck with him on impeachment. You know, it's funny. I was a child during the Clinton administration, like young. And one of my like memories, my very few memories of this whole uh, impeachment process during that time was I remember seeing one of those like tabloid magazines in like the AMP. And it was the, the headline read Monica Lewinsky at rock bottom. And it's funny because I think, well, not really funny. I think that's the wrong word, but it's interesting to look at where we are now. Whereas I think most of us would place the blame and the responsibility on former president Clinton back then. I think Monica Lewinsky ended up taking most of the blame, which is crazy when you think about it, because she was a 22 year old intern. He was a senior citizen, (laughs) maybe not senior citizen, but but decades older than her in the highest position of power in the known universe. And yet somehow we blamed her for the fall of, of his reputation. That's a valid point when you hear Republicans or regardless of their party defenders of President Trump argue that, well, it was okay for Bill Clinton to get a pass for his impropriety, but not okay for Donald Trump to get a pass for pick your scandal, pick your sexual (laughs) piccadillo. And I, I get it, right? I don't think either of them is acceptable, but it's a sticky thing that I I don't I don't think we have the answer to. But there was another New Jersey voice who had something, I guess he might have thought about it. So when Clinton was impeached and there was a vote on the House floor, every member had the opportunity to get up and speak. And if you imagine right back and forth in the well of the House of Representatives, Republicans arguing for impeachment, Democrats arguing against it, and Congress, then Congressman Robert Menendez, who represented a district in Hudson County in northern New Jersey, he was on the floor and he was shouting at his colleagues saying, let he who has no sin in this chamber cast the first stone. Hmm. So Menendez and his colleagues on the Democratic side weren't so much focusing on the victim Lewinsky, but were trying to frame this as so many people in the House of Representatives have committed adultery. Others had committed adultery with interns. And I still think Menendez's point was valid, but I don't think we can neglect Lewinsky's place in this whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, she's gone on record saying that she had the agency to make this choice, whereas there were other people in the Clinton stratosphere that were claim vehemently, no, I did not have a choice. That was rape. Um, so I do want to acknowledge that she has said that she did make the choice, whereas I think agency is a little murky when you're dealing with the president of the United States in relation to an intern. But yeah, I mean, back then, I just don't think we had the language for any of this. There's a book that I read, and I, I've reread it actually, by Peter Baker, who's a journalist, and it's called The Breach. 
And for me, it's a really great account of the Clinton impeachment. And in fact, I would not be surprised if people in the Trump White House were reading this now. One of the points that Baker makes in his book, which was written a few years after the impeachment, was that we sometimes forget that these are real people navigating complex situations and whatever their motivations are, they're trying to get to an end result that's not predetermined. So when the impeachment saga of Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, or Bill Clinton began, and now I would add Donald Trump, you can look back in history and say, oh, of course that's how it would end, but nobody knew how it would end. And I, to me, that's, that's one of the interesting things about where we are right now as a country. Yeah, I, I would echo that in saying, I have no idea how this is going to go go down. I We've never removed somebody from office before, and Republicans still control the Senate. So there is a pretty big possibility that, yeah, he might get impeached because Democrats have the House, but will that go anywhere after that? Even when the so-called party of impeachment controlled the Senate, as in the case of Clinton, he still was acquitted on the, on the charges because there just wasn't two-thirds votes there. Are we going, I wonder, are we going down the trail that the Republicans went down, are the Democrats going to end up losing seats as a result of this? What happens in New Jersey, where just in 2018, in the blue wave that you mentioned, people like Mikey Sherrill and Josh Gothheimer and Andy Kim were elected to Congress. These are moderate districts. Where do they end up if they end up voting to impeach and Trump gets acquitted and is on the ballot? Right, exactly. And I think the most vulnerable districts are ones with freshman Congress people in them. And like you said, they are moderate districts who were Republican for some time. And so what happens now? So I think each freshman member of Congress will have to sit down and think, is what I'm about to do worth the integrity of this Constitution in in exchange for potentially my seat? And so I, I don't know. I don't it's going to be a hard road. So the the Republicans and those that defend Trump have said that the process is political, it's unfair, and they have argued that it's unconstitutional. Going back to Federalist number 65, remember the Federalist Papers written by James Madison and Alexander Hamilton? Our founding fathers predicted when they wrote about impeachment that it would be a political issue. It's not a legal issue. It's not like you commit a crime and there's a black and white. It's a difficult thing and you're going to have to balance your views on the constitution with your own political survival. Mm-hmm. With your own agenda that you want to get passed in Congress. Right. Maybe those all line up or maybe they don't. I right. don't know. But this question of politics and impeachment is as old as the Freelingheisens. It has <laughs> been around for a long time. And we need to remember that this is a political process. It's absolutely political. So I, I keep seeing the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors. So what, what is that? Nobody knows. The, found, the same founders were not specific about what, is, what that means. So when Andrew Johnson was impeached, he was impeached for doing something that arguably modern presidents are entitled to do, which is remove a member of his cabinet from office. Nixon wasn't impeached, but we know that 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 was an actual kind of clear-cut crime and cover-up. Yeah. And then you get to Clinton, who his worst critics 
would say lied under oath and committed perjury, possibly obstructed justice. Democrats and others argued that didn't rise to the level of high crime and misdemeanor. But it's murky, it sounds like. So right now we're faced with a situation. Speaker Pelosi has said she wants the impeachment inquiry to narrowly focus on the president's actions with respect to Ukraine. So does the president's telephone conversation with a foreign head of government where he tells that person or doesn't tell them indirectly implies this is where we get into that gray area. Right. We've done a lot to help you. It'd be awfully nice if you investigated former Vice President Biden and his son Hunter. Yeah, for me, that sounds a little suspicious. But I think from where a lot of Republicans are sitting, this seems more politically driven than than morality driven. And I think this seems more an as an attempt to undermine what they think of as a fair as a fair election and remove their chosen president from office. And there are a lot of really smart political scientists that will say impeachment really does a good job of increasing the polarity in a society. And so I think in a culture where we're already very politically divided, there is a lot of polarity between Democrats and Republicans, and we don't really seem to see a lot of common ground anymore. I'm wondering, not so much even what happens with impeachment, but what happens after. What do we do then when a large portion of our country feels like they've had their democracy ripped out from under them and their leader has been removed? What do we do if our collective leader, the president of the United States, did commit high crimes and misdemeanors. And I believe it's important, regardless of how you feel about this issue, to speak honestly and based in facts. So impeachment, as defined by the founders in Federalist Paper Number 65, is a political act. It's impossible for impeachment to be unconstitutional just because it's being driven by the majority party of the House of Representatives who happen to be on the other side of the of the political spectrum than the president and his party. I have a problem and take issue with the members of Congress who have said that they've made up their mind for impeachment or have said that they are opposed to impeachment without having seen the evidence. So I believe we need to see where the facts lead understanding that this is a really difficult decision that divided the country in 1868 with Andrew Johnson, did significant damage to our institutions in 1974 with Richard Nixon, and in 1998 made that polarity and that polarization that you spoke of worse than it had been arguably in the history of the Republic. So afterwards, I'm not optimistic, but at the same time, I believe that this is democracy and that the impeachment clause was inserted into the Constitution for moments like this. I'm not prejudging it, but I believe that, and I think Peter Rodino, and I think that a few Freelinghuisens <laughs> would support me in saying we need to follow the facts where they lead and then make our decision. But again, I think it is worth thinking about the potential political cost. I mean, what happens if and when 
the freshman Congress people, Mikey Sherrill, Andy Kim, Malinowski, Gottheimer, they, they vote to impeach and then they can lose their seats. I think it's worth asking, is impeaching President Trump worth the potential political cost of losing these seats and therefore risking our long-term goals and what we want to see accomplished at the federal level? Well, if that's the viewpoint that you're coming from, okay. I think it's entirely acceptable to think about that and for those Congress people to think about that because it goes back to what we were talking about. Impeachment is inherently political. Mm -hmm. It is not black and white. And so if, if Mikey Sherrill wants to grab Nancy Pelosi's hand and Thelma and Louise it off a metaphorical political cliff, go for it. I mean, I, I, I can't say that it's, it's good politics or it's bad politics. We never know. But the founders envisioned this to be a political process. That's why it's in the Constitution. And I think that a whole host of the people that we've talked about from New Jersey would understand that. What I also believe is important, though, is to remember what the author Peter Baker wrote, that in the Johnson impeachment, in the uh, Nixon impeachment, and in the Clinton impeachment, these were all real people trying their best in a complex situation to navigate it, and they had different motivations, but... These are real people. These are the Pappases of the world, right? like it or not, the Freelingheisens, the, the Rodinos, the Menendezes. It is not an abstract idea, and these are not faceless robots. These are our representatives fulfilling their constitutional duty. Yeah, uh, and hey, I mean, when we talk about Thelma and Louising it, isn't that what we're doing with this very podcast? And I think it's going well so far anyway. So you know what? We'll see what happens. <laughs> We shall see. <laughs> Next time on NJ Voices, join us for an election podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about the state assembly races, the county freeholder races, and local elections too. So tune in two weeks from now. We hope to see you then. I'm Vincent Salomino. And I'm Marielle Dodato. Take it away, Congressman Pappas. Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star. Now we see how brave you are. Up above the Pentagon sting. Like a fair judge in the ring Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star Now we see how brave you are When subpoenas and lies are gone When obstruction shines upon Then you throw your trump cards down Twinkle, twinkle, all brought down Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star Now we see how brave you are Then the Congress in the dark Thanks you for your courage and spark We could not see which way to go If you did not lead us so Twinkle, twinkle, Kenneth Star Now we see how brave you are